Thank you for joining us on the New Milford Youth Agency podcast from YA Media. We are your hosts, Annabelle Colonna, Sierra Lynch, Grace Soda. Our guest today is Lauren Brown. Lauren Brown has been a registered dietitian for the past 20 years with an area of subspecialty in pediatrics. She holds additional credentials as a certified specialist in pediatric critical care and currently works at Maria Ferrari Children's Hospital in Valhalla, New York. Lauren received her Bachelor's of Science from the University of Rhode Island and completed her dietetic internship at SUNY Stony Brook. Lauren lives in New Milford and has two sons in middle school. Thank you for joining us, Lauren. Do you want to tell us more about yourself? Thank you for having me today. This is really um, a joy to be here and talk with everybody about what has been going on lately in our community at large. Um, a little bit more about myself is that I, I work in pediatrics. I've always worked in pediatrics. Uh, I, I do work in critical care, which means that I work in a pediatric intensive care unit. And so part of my job is helping to stabilize uh, teens and children that are very ill. So what does a normal day look like for you on that job? A normal day is that I will begin rounding with the medical team, the residents and attending on service, and every patient gets discussed and a plan is laid out for how their care will get changed or adapted for the day based on what's happened to them in the last few hours. It is dynamic, so the care of a patient can change minute to minute, hour to hour. So sometimes later on, I'll be communicating again with the team and making more changes. Then I'll usually spend my afternoon talking to patients, getting to know them better, doing educations. And by the end of the day, I have to do all of that charting, which takes up a good part of my time where I document everything that I have done for the day. Wow, that's very interesting. That's really yeah. cool. It's a lot too, but that's really cool. It's very fast paced, it's a very fast paced <laughs> job where um, like some people who can take texts and phone calls while they're working, mm -hmm. I unfortunately, you know, have that do not disturb me button on all, all the time. Yeah. yeah. How has your job changed since the pandemic? Have you been seeing an increase in patients or have you had to take on other responsibilities that you didn't have before? So at the beginning of the pandemic, when adults were being hit the hardest, pediatrics slowed to a crawl. We had our lowest census in record history. Oh, wow. Parents were keeping their kids home. So things that I usually I might see are trauma. The trauma had kind of disappeared. Yeah, even things like premature births really started to fade away as mom stayed home and were just resting. So there were a lot of illnesses that we saw decrease. Um, as the pandemic took off. We did start to get some children that became critically ill. You heard about those kids that would have that severe inflammatory response syndrome. So they trickled in a little bit um, as the pandemic wore on, but we were never at a crisis point. We did take on older patients. So we were seeing kids, we were seeing patients up to like 30 years old were coming into the PICU at that point because the adult ICUs were so full. Um, so we were busy. But from a pediatric perspective, it was a little slower. And then I don't know if you've heard that that inflammatory you know, syndrome comes on a little later. So as the pandemic wore on, we got busier and busier with that post-infectious inflammatory syndrome, um, where we started to see a real uptick in it um, after the holidays. It got really bad about February, March, and April, where we were really busy with teens, mm -hmm. um, critically ill. Um, from the, the MISC syndrome. 
Um, and now it's just epically busy as life has returned and elective surgeries have returned and people are realizing that they haven't been feeling well and and I have been busier than I've ever been in the last couple of weeks. That said, running consecutively in parallel to all of that has been the real increase in mental illness admissions. So we've had a tremendous increase in um, attempted suicides, unfortunately, overdoses, and eating disorders. Those diagnoses have really ticked up. Yeah. What does that demographic look like? Is that mostly younger people? Is it all over the age range scale? Predominantly teenagers. Uh, so I would have to say that uh, mental illness diagnoses are typically 13 and over. And again, I'm generalizing based on my years of experience. These aren't specific pieces mm-hmm. of data. But I've seen these admissions admissions start to crest down to you know, 10, 11-year-old kids coming in struggling with depression, um, negative thoughts about themselves, eat struggles with eating. Yeah. What do you think has contributed to this increase and also um, it's starting younger? I, well, the pandemic, I think, for sure, mm-hmm. had a huge part of it. You know, a lot of these illnesses are exacerbated when we're isolated, right? We are inherently mm-hmm. social. Um, we're social beings. We want we want connections with other humans. And so during the pandemic, we couldn't have those connections with other humans. I think that helped us identify with a peer that made us feel like we had somebody that we were like um, or somebody to talk to, you know, even human touch, hugging. Yeah. You know, so these are really important things that help keep our, you know, our mental fortitude high. And uh, and so I think that kids suffered from it. Yeah. I think while adults were very vocal about how much it was really kind of detrimental to us, kids were very afraid, I think, to kind of voice, younger kids especially, to voice how hard it was for them yeah. or to really even be able to identify what about the pandemic was so hard for them. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's a pretty big reason why we yeah. saw such an increase. Do you think you see that kids and teens tend to wait until they reach that point where they need um, like psych- psychiatric care before anyone really finds out that they're struggling with these um, mental illnesses or eating disorders? Like, do you think that they're waiting till that point because they're scared to say anything, they're scared to speak up, or they just don't know how to express it? Well, I'm a clinical dietitian, so the patients that I get to know the best are the patients with eating disorders. So I can't really speak to some of the other mental illnesses that I saw in terms of on my census and knew were there. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of eating disorders, it's definitely hard to identify the problem that you're having and to reach out. Uh, it can be very intimidating to admit that there's something going on that you're not entirely in control of. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Oftentimes, eating disorders are identified more by their parents or by their pediatricians than by the patient themselves. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of people listening and we know some of the different types of eating disorders, but could you go over a couple of like just the most common ones that you see or maybe the ones that have increased the most? Sure. So anorexia nervosa, that is the type of eating disorder in which you are restricting um restricting the food that you eat, restricting the calories, 
um, bulimia is the disorder in which you're purging. So you could vomit or take laxative to purge your body after binging um, an amount of food that is not normal, right? Mm -hmm. and, and in that period of time where you're consuming that, you're not in control of how much you're eating. Um, and then there are um, other types of disorders in which um, disordered patterns of eating um, in which you try and become extremely healthy. So a restrictive um, type of, of eating disorder where it starts with you trying to just be very, very, very healthy about what you eat, but then it becomes less of your control and more of a mental illness cascade where you don't really have control over um, stopping the obsession. Yeah. So how do you think you can personally like distinguish between whether you have an eating disorder or whether you just have a bad relationship with food? I don't think it's a decision you should make by yourself. I think mm -hmm. that if you're worried that you don't have a healthy relationship with food, you should definitely reach out to professionals to try and have them ask you some clarifying questions and see about getting the help that you need. If you don't have a problem, if you just need to to have that better relationship with food, then it's easy to just say, why don't you go see a dietitian and, and talk about some healthy eating? Um, it sometimes can be a lot harder to identify when your relationship with food has crested into mental illness, because I think it's important to understand that eating disorders, um, eating disorder is a mental illness, right? It's a disease mm -hmm. state that requires treatment from professionals. It's not something that is caused by taking dieting too far. Um, it's not something that you set out intentionally to do. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's that's the important part. So if, you, if you're struggling with your relationship with food, it's, it's best to just ask. Mm -hmm. Are there certain behaviors that can lead to an eating disorder that at first it might just be, um, you know, a habit or something that you are intentionally doing? Like I know there are a lot of dieting programs that are advertised out there. Are there things that can develop into de eating disorders over time if they become obsessive or just um, just overwhelming or too much? Well, I think that's where it's important, again, to distinguish the fact that the eating disorder is not because dieting went too far. It's not because you had a particular behavior that caused it. Eating disorders are a mental illness. It, it relates to your the image of the way you see your body, right? So mm -hmm. an eating disorder is is... A problem with the way your brain is telling you you look when you look in the mirror. In the mirror, it's body dysmorphia. Mm -hmm. You look in the mirror, you're of normal weight, but you see somebody that is overweight. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's not a behavior that you do. It's just something that has happened to you. It's it's a mental illness. Mm -hmm. Do you think anything recently or within our culture and society has increased this? distorted idea of our bodies? Well, we all know that media plays a huge role. Mm -hmm. um, so media and societal norms for sure have placed pressure on identifying our self-worth by the way we look, right? You have mm -hmm. all asked me some questions about certain types of social media movements like the body positivity movement, the body mm -hmm. neutrality movement. And 
all of those movement, movements are trying to address exactly what you just asked, which is, mm-hmm. you know, media, society has placed this undue pressure on us feeling self-worth because we look a certain way. Because you brought up the both the body positivity and body neutrality movements, how have those affected us either in a positive way or are there any drawbacks, negatives to any of these movements that we've been seeing? So I have to be honest with you, ladies asked me this question and I was like, wow, I hadn't heard of these movements. I tend to be very narrowly focused in my critical care work. And although I see eating disorders, my job is to stabilize. So I'm not necessarily on the treatment end where we're working on the background psychology of all this. So I actually found the research a little fascinating myself about you know, the body neutrality and the body positivity movement. And they're, they're excellent, much needed movements and much needed messages for our adolescents and today. Mm-hmm. And not just girls, boys too, right? So yeah. when you look at 30 million Americans are suffering from eating disorders, 10 million Americans of those are actually adolescent or are, are male. Um, mm-hmm. So I have definitely actually seen an increase in, in, diagnoses of eating disorders in in males, which used to be unheard of. Mm -hmm. Um, And also there's been an increase in eating disorders amongst people of minority or people of color. So it was not necessarily a disease state that was prevalent. um, And now we're seeing more and more um, people of, you know, color or of other ethnicities suffering from this as well. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's issues with body image, it's its becoming a global issue. Mm-hmm. What are some ways that we can do more to try to um, fix this image of our bodies and this pressure that's put on us? That's a good question. I think that we can't, you can't do it alone, mm-hmm. right? We have mm-hmm. to all do it together. Um, and I think that and society will do it in a way in which we won't even realize it's we're making change necessarily. So it's going to happen in baby steps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, most likely, you know, again, I'm a dietitian, but I'm also a parent. So, you know, I think that there are little moments in life where body positivity or body neutrality comes into play. Um, when you're working with a patient with an eating disorder, it's very important to not comment on the way that they look physically, mm-hmm. right? You're not supposed to use words like, you look, wow, you look great today. Um, because we're not supposed to place emphasis on the way we look mm-hmm. in terms of are we healthy. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that So I think that like identi- we need to start identifying health less by the way we look Okay, mm-hmm. and more by our behaviors. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Our, do you have behaviors that are going to equal health mm-hmm. and fitness? So, you know, are you getting out there and being active every day? You know, you can think about what you're eating. You should think about what you're eating, right? You should be mindful about what we put in our bodies. Yeah. Um, but it's that mindfulness of what we're eating and making sure that it's healthy and nutritious versus I'm going to eat X, Y, and Z so that I can look like a certain way, mm-hmm. present myself in a certain package, be mm-hmm. a certain size. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you brought that up because like it's so, 
it's a huge discussion about whether like we see quote unquote skinny people um as healthy because of their weight and it's just not the case you can't look at somebody and think oh they're healthy because they're a certain weight exactly that's, mm-hmm. exactly that's yeah I thank mean, you for bringing that up right yeah. and 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 it stems to the fact that you know you can be a healthy person at any weight mm-hmm. yeah I feel like even during the pandemic, there was like this big movement. A lot of people started working out or exercising at home and that had a lot of positive things. I know I started getting into a good workout routine, so I felt better. But I also know that there were people where it started to go too far because there were all these, you know, videos, social things on social media showing all these very skinny people and being like this. This is what you should aim for. If you're going to start working out, this needs to be your end goal. And then it it didn't become a habit where it's like I want to get healthy it was I want to be able to meet these standards and I think even nutrition played a role because then people developed this idea that well if I work out a lot and I push my body to the limit and then I don't eat then I'll lose weight faster but I mean I learned after I did my own research like that's not the case that if you're working out that much your body needs that needs those nutrients um you know it needs fuel if you're going to keep pushing yourself like that so I know a question we had on here is if you are trying to lose weight, um, is it okay to skip meals or not eat? Is that, should that be something people are doing? Well, I think the important thing about discussing weight loss with a teen population is that you have to know whether it's appropriate or not to lose weight. Mm-hmm. So, you know, weight loss is only appropriate for children or teens if you've got comorbid factors, okay? So do you have diabetes? Are you suffering from sleep apnea, mm-hmm. right? Um, do you have, unfortunately, high cholesterol as a teenager, which sometimes happens? Other than that, you really should be more focusing on, am I, am I healthy? Am I starting healthy habits? I think looking at looking at your weight and looking at what you're eating in your teen years really should come down to a very simple concept that you're you're going to get one vehicle in life right like you're going to move through life in one vehicle your body is your vehicle mm-hmm. and so it's all about learning how to take care of that vehicle so you know you start your healthy habits when you're a teen certainly in terms of building good exercise routines being that type of person that weaves activity into your life all of the time. Right? They say that people that live longest, the studies show that people that live the longest are those people that just get up and like walk for a half hour every day. And they don't necessarily need to like have the biggest muscles or be the thinnest. They're just active people. Mm-hmm. So building those habits of activity when you're a teen are super important. And then also building your healthy eating habits. So whenever I counsel a patient, I'll always ask them, how's your relationship with the vegetable, right? Because we need <laughs> to have healthy relationships with the foods that are going to give us the most health and have the longest payout for us um, as we grow up. Eating vegetables, you know, drinking water, these are dietary changes that you can make without focusing on weight loss necessarily, just making these dietary changes that are gonna have the longest payout for you for the rest of your life. Because if you're that type of person that can sit down and actually enjoy eating half of your plate as vegetables, which is what us dietitians try and teach, Mm -hmm. right? If you can enjoy that because you've been eating it since you were 14 years old, 
then yeah. you're going to have the easiest time making changes when you get older and your mm-hmm. bodies metabolize things less quickly. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. So. Um, so you talked about relationship with food. Can you tell us like methods of improving our relationships with food? Um, for example, like something like intuitive eating that I, I hear a lot about. So um, intuitive eating is interesting. It's, you know, again, something I had to look into myself. Intuitive eating is very similar to uh, mindful eating, which I think is more widely used by registered dietitians. They both focus on the fact that um, you should be conscious of what you're eating. You should be intentional with what you eat. So not randomly snacking in front of the cabinet, right? Uh, Those are Mm -hmm. basic concepts between the two of them. Intuitive eating talks about food sparking joy and eating without shame, whereas mindful eating really talks more about um, connecting with your body and listening to your body cues. Am I hungry? Do I need to eat this? Um, and, And thinking about what you're eating in terms of is this a healthy food for me? Do I need to eat right now? So. I think, again, the take-home concepts from both of those types of um, eating styles is that, one, we should be thoughtful in what we put into our body. I definitely like that concept. You know, um, when we sit in front of the TV and we have that bag of potato chips, we are not conscious of how many we have eaten. So pay attention to what you pick and how much of it you put in front of you if you're trying to be a healthy person. Um, And it's just a skill. It's a skill you need to have for the rest of your life. When you're younger, you don't have to pay so much attention to your portions, but as you get older, you will. So you might as well, you know, start doing that now while you're younger. Um, You you mentioned how you ask your patients about their relationship with vegetables, like specifically, what are some other things like, I guess as teens, because it sounds like it's in our teenage years that we can start developing these healthy habits that will carry through adulthood. What are other parts of our nutrition that we should be focusing on, like, like vegetables or, you know, like calories, cholesterol, like those types of things that we can be focusing on to develop those habits? Well, I think that, you know, eating away from your parents for the first time is something that teens struggle with often. So, you know, yeah, more than what you're eating, how you're eating, how are you getting your food um, and planning ahead, right? Mm -hmm. Really good things to think about as a teen when you're starting to build those habits. So looking at you know what's for lunch that day in the cafeteria deciding whether you're going to bring or whether you're going to eat there so that you don't get there dislike the entree and then decide to eat you know the muffin and a chocolate milk and Mm -hmm. you know whatever is out of the vending machine right yeah when we make those impulsive choices we tend to not be as edited about what we eat as when we've planned it out Mm -hmm. and we're thoughtful mindful and have an intuitive sense to what we're yeah. going to put into our bodies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, young people who are athletes who have to travel all the time, you know, they will often struggle with how am I going to get a nutritious meal on the road? For those of you that are going off to college, how am I going to get a nutritious meal when I'm at college? So I think it's about, you know, knowing where your food sources are, looking at the menus in your dining halls. Um, looking at menus in restaurants where you know your team might be playing, 
and trying mm-hmm. to get get out ahead of it so that you don't have to make um, on the fly decisions, uneducated decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. My mom always tells me she's worried about me in college because I'll like text her while she's at work and I'm like, can I eat this or what are, what are my options for lunch? And she's like, you can you can go look yourself and then I'll end up you know making like just heating up a can of soup or something and she's like well, what are you going to do when you get to college are you just going to are you going to call me every time and ask yes. what should i eat yeah i've told what? my mother that i will be calling her <laughs> yeah like well, <laughs> that it brings up a you know you're bringing up a good point that this is what your age group struggles with the most is the independence mm-hmm. and the confidence that you can make good decisions for yourself so you know for anybody who's listening you obviously want to make good decisions you're interested in making good decisions so get out there get the information that you need everyone's going to have slightly different nutritional needs if you are you know an adolescent girl the amount of calories you need are very very different than you know the adolescent boy who is on the varsity football team so Mm -hmm. there isn't a cookie cutter approach to what you should be eating so you have to get out there and get the information that you need that said, there are basic concepts to, I like to call them the big umbrella concepts of nutrition, right? Mm-hmm. So the things that kind of sit on the top that everybody really should be following, which is, you know, we need to be eating a lot of fresh, unprocessed foods, fresh vegetables, fresh fruit. We shouldn't be drinking our calories necessarily, right? So drink yeah. water, hydrate your body with a lot of water. Mm-hmm. And we need to reduce the processing of the foods that we eat. So we all know we can't be rolling through McDonald's every other day and we can't be eating Dunkin' Donuts and for breakfast every morning and, yeah, you know. So those are some of the big umbrella concepts that everyone kind of knows at this point in life, but some of us are better than others at, at adhering to. Yeah. Something I was gonna ask about, I've, I just remember seeing this in health class and it almost became like a fad for a little while to check the I think it's the body mass index, the BMI, mm-hmm. like your weight. I think it's your weight compared to your height. And it's supposed to like on a chart tell you if you're underweight at a healthy weight or overweight. And I remember I, I was probably in middle school when I first heard about it. And it became this like obsessive thing for a little while that everyone was checking. But there were people who were clearly not overweight. I, I had friends who were just super tall and um, you know, it happened to be like, you're overweight according to this chart. And then it became this like, oh my, am I actually overweight? Like, is this bad? And it became, um, you know, this like goal to get into the the healthy zone, even though it didn't seem entirely accurate. I don't know if you know anything about that or if like, so, if other resources like that are reliable, if people should be using that to determine if they're healthy or not. So your body mass index is a ratio of how much you weigh to how tall you are. And the health industry has set guidelines for whether that classifies you as underweight, normal weight, overweight, obese. The body mass index is a really good example of how our society has placed this pressure on us to conform our body weight to a certain Mm -hmm. standard. So it's really interesting to look at body mass index and to see how the medical community in and of themselves has perpetuated some of the body image issues we have. 
And then the conundrum for me as a clinician is, how do I get people to understand that having, that there is that concept of being a healthy weight, but that a healthy weight doesn't look the same for every single person. Mm-hmm. And so things like body mass index can be general guidelines. But if you are a healthy person and you know, you know, that you make healthy choices and your body mass index is falling out of the range to just be a little patient with yourself and the number and the parameter, have a conversation with your doctor about it. Just make sure that all the other health parameters that you have, you know, are in line, right? We have other health parameters other than our weights, you know, our heart rate, our blood pressure, lab values tell us whether or not our bodies are in good shape. Mm -hmm. So body mass index. Yeah, that's a good question. It's just something I remembered, like, you know, we talk about nutrition and stuff in health class. I remember that being part of the unit. And for a little while, it just became this momentary, like, panic that people had. I remember, I think mine actually told me I was underweight. And at the time, I was sort of like, that doesn't seem right, but does that mean I should start eating more? Like I don't know with my own youngest child was considered underweight for years. Even if I so as clinical dietitians, we have something called physical assessment where we look at parts of your body to see whether or not you are nourished enough and we can code you then for malnutrition. So it takes it like that one step further, that clinical assessment. And um, if I did the physical assessment on my youngest child when he was you know, eight years old, he came up as like moderate malnutrition and the kid ate like a horse. So yeah. Yeah. it's definitely important to understand that, you know, there are textbooks out there. There are guidelines out there that are going to give you norms, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean everybody's going to fall exactly into those norms and that yeah. that's okay. That said, if you feel that somebody is struggling with their own body positivity or their own eating problems, their own relationship to food, that it is important to speak out and try and talk to that person about it. Because when you are struggling with an eating disorder, sometimes you can't necessarily see that it's happening to you. Mm -hmm. And it's the other people around you that are noticing the changes. Yeah. So... What are some warning signs you can look for or, you know, changes that as as like a friend you can notice or even, you know, if it's a family member that you can just look out for and, you know, be aware of? Avoiding meal times, um, starting to restrict out certain food groups. People that say, I can't eat dairy anymore, bothers my stomach. Um, I became a vegan, um, you know. Oftentimes it will be progressive. They'll say, you know, I don't eat red meat anymore, and then I become a vegetarian, and then I become a vegan. Um, wearing big, bulky clothing at inappropriate periods of the year, like in the summertime. Um, so those are some of the behavioral signs and symptoms. Depression, mm-hmm. anxiety, obsession, you know, that friend that's constantly looking up every single calorie that they're eating and then editing what they've decided to eat based on the fact that they feel they've, they're eating too much. So if you hear those things, um, you know, it's best to talk to them about it, have a conversation with them about it, check in with them, see if they're okay. Um, so where can people go if they feel that their friend or um, their child even needs help? So there is an organization called the National Eating Disorders Association. They have a website and they also have a helpline 
and their helpline is 1-800-931-2237, and that's a call or text. That's 1-800-931-2237. Again, that's a call or a text, and that organization will help you find the right help, be it a doctor, an outpatient program, a dietitian, helping to identify whether you have a problem, if you're the concerned friend, helping you to figure out what the next step will be as that concerned friend. Um, and the other website that I really liked was uh, helpguide.org. So again, that's helpguide.org. And there is a big menu about lots of mental illnesses and eating disorders being one of them is there. And it gave you a lot of good information about what you can do if your loved one is suffering from a mental illness or an eating disorder. We like having those resources and we'll definitely put those in our like description. Um, and we usually post those places just so that people know that they're out there. I feel like that's one of the biggest things is knowing who to go to, where to go. Because I think yes. a lot of people don't know sometimes where to turn in those situations. I think also it's important to understand that, you know, pediatricians are trained to talk to you and will talk to you in private if need be. So sometimes just starting with that pediatrician you've known your whole life will feel the most comfortable. But these hotlines can be anon are anonymous and um, you can just get some basic information and leave it at that if you need to, so. Mm -hmm. After like taking in all this information, what are some like basic rule of thumb tips that you could give for teens about nutrition, dieting, um, just maintaining healthy habits? that are you know just simple that people can have in mind? Sure. So remember that you're getting one vehicle in life. <laughs> mm -hmm. So treat it well from the beginning. And that you should, I think that's what I want to say. The one vehicle comment was my one sound bite. Oh, I, <laughs> I like that though, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it's very true, and as somebody whose vehicle is <laughs> starting to wear, I think to myself, geez, I really wish I had, you know, started at an earlier age with my exercise routines. If I had only started at an earlier age with, you know, getting on that treadmill or taking that walk every day, would it feel like less work for me now? Mm -hmm. So, um, because you're at that age where you're, you're mapping who you are, your brain is like laying down the foundation for who you're going to become. So yeah. it's a really great time to work on those healthy habits because then you can affect this for the rest of your life. You know, old people's brains, we don't like to change. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of work for us to change when we're older. So, yeah. um, I think in terms of nutrition, just basic nutrition advice really comes down to trying to eat whole foods, unprocessed foods, um, get into the kitchen, enjoy being in the kitchen, enjoy working with vegetables, with you know whole grains, because the more you can cook for yourself, the less reliant you are on food choices you won't have as much control over. Yeah. This is just a really random, and this wasn't on here, but talking about like unprocessed foods and stuff, it just came to mind the whole GMO movement that I feel like people talk about a lot. Mm -hmm. Do I mean, I don't know a ton about GMOs or how it all works, but um, like I know like my parents specifically, like we always try to shop like organic, the specific foods that say non-GMO. 
are the foods that are do are they less nutritious is there like a factor that makes them i want to say like less healthy but it's providing less for your body compared to i'm not necessarily an expert on the whole gmo field it's genetically modified mm-hmm. food and so you know, people you know we have genetically modified crops for centuries um in order to get a better product yeah so um it does get a really bad rap in terms of changing the nutrition of a particular food it could potentially do that um it definitely has se- is seen as unhealthy um organic the same thing you know we know that you know organic produce will have less pesticide but does it mean it has no pesticide does it mean that that food will now no longer present a harm to you not necessarily yeah the only good epidemiological studies right so that means it's studies that look at the health and well-being of a person over the length of their lifespan okay those types of studies big numbers of people for long periods of time the best data show the best data that we have shows that people that eat fruits and vegetables fresh fruits and vegetables have less diseases less incidences of cancer less heart disease live longer have a healthier weight so as dietitians we will focus primarily on that concept of anytime you sit down to eat half of your plate should be vegetable okay Mm-hmm. You can do it at breakfast, lunch, dinner, even snack time. Half of what you eat should be vegetable. And if you follow those guidelines, whether you're 14 or whether you're 46, you will do all the right things to your diet. You will increase your fruit and vegetables. Uh you will, I'm sorry. You will increase your vitamin and mineral intake. You will increase your fiber intake. You will lower your caloric intake. We as Americans do tend to eat too many calories. in general as a whole mm-hmm. um we tend to overeat so we'll reduce our caloric intake we will um lower our sodium content right when you look at p- people that have you know high blood pressure or high cholesterol we need to lower our sodium in our diets eat those fresh vegetables that's a great way to do it so that's a good rule of thumb it's yeah. a good rule of thumb it's very easy. visual too yeah. it's like yeah. easy peasy there's no weighing or measuring it's just you sit down to the plate of food and you look at it and half of it it could be like a little bit of a salad and some steamed veggies or even in the morning at breakfast if you think about the amount of food on your plate being let's say you have an omelet you mm-hmm. have half of that is egg but the other half of it are all the veggies that you put into it yeah mm-hmm. it is a very veg- and now i'm like thinking back like what what have i eaten today I did i eat any about that plate from health class oh yeah the, the yeah, plate that's exactly, yeah, that's exactly what it is yeah, yeah. And 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 you guys learn that plate now. We learned the pyramid, the food guide pyramid, where we I just learned that. the I different food like groups. Yes. Yeah, it was like the pyramid first, and yeah, then I feel like, like yes, yeah, I feel like when I hit like four, like third or fourth grade, then the plate was introduced, and that was like, because and it's a more visual thing, which makes sense. I can still yeah. see the pyramid in my head right now. I see tiny sliver of like the yellow. They're like. It was the oil oils oh, or whatever oils. it was. Yeah. Well, because meal planning is the hardest part. Right? Yeah. Like we know we should eat vegetables. We know we should eat lean chicken. We know we should, you know, get good protein sources or whatnot, but how? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, how do you do it? Yeah. So that's the hardest part. It's yeah. planning your meals mm-hmm. out. I was well, I grew up on a farm. So we always had like fresh veggies and fruit and then it, once we stopped 
like having those like abundant gardens that we did all of a sudden I was like oh wow like you really have to go out and search for those things and they're expensive it's expensive to eat healthy too that's another thing like sometimes it's a lot cheaper to grab the bag of chips that are that's at the checkout than to actually search for the bag of apples or something and that's something I guess I didn't realize until I got older like my mom would send me into the store to like pick out what I wanted for dinner and then all of a sudden I had to like make those decisions myself it wasn't just there and I don't know just realize I that was another thing I wanted to bring up how like healthy eating habits they are more expensive and i think that's what makes it hard for some people maybe in like low-income households it's hard in low-income households i think some positive changes have happened in the last decade where food stamps will be able to be used in farmers markets it's a movement that is happening in a lot of states in our union um and just understanding that um there are ways that you can still eat vegetables. They don't necessarily have to be fresh, but that they're still healthy. So I love mm-hmm. the frozen vegetable. I love the bagged yes. frozen vegetable. Mm-hmm. I can buy them when they're on sale, yeah. right? A dollar a bag, and I can yeah. load up on them and have them in my freezer. They don't mm-hmm. go bad on me, so I don't have to worry about buying just the right amount every time I go to the grocery store. Yeah. They go in the microwave. They whip up in a, you know five minutes. They're ready. Um, so, you know, that type of accommodation, if you're dealing with, you know, either income issues, time issues, time Mm -hmm. management issues. Yeah. I think that's one thing the pandemic has done actually is it's changed the way a lot of us managed what we ate. So if you managed your own household during the pandemic, you were not going to the grocery store. So you were figuring out a way to like go two weeks. Like I would try and go two weeks without going into the grocery store. So I was Mm -hmm. writing out every single thing my family would be eating. And then I'd be running into the grocery store and gone was the impulsive buying, right? We were writing our grocery lists. We were running in and we were getting out. Mm -hmm. I know that I reduced the cost of my grocery bill that way. And I know that I reduced, um, the impulsive buying at that point, you know, mm-hmm. this looks good. I think my kids will want to try it. Um, and so some of the things that we've learned in the pandemic and some of the dietary changes that have happened in the pandemic are actually great and probably shouldn't go away. We yeah. should be more mindful of our grocery list and what we're buying mm-hmm. um, and, and be less impulsive. Would you? Did you know that there's a science to where the food is stocked in the grocery store? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. sure. I'm not surprised. Whole, but... whole science to it. So they will put, if you walk down the cereal aisle, you walk down the cereal aisle, where are the sugar cereals? Right at eye level. Kid eye level, right yeah. there. So that when you're in the grocery store with little Johnny, he is staring at Cocoa Pebbles and Fruity Pebbles. Now, if you want Cracklin' Oak brand or if you want your corn cornflakes, they're all the way at the top because, you know, we're tall parents. And if we're mm-hmm. going to choose that, we can reach it. But they're going to put all of the sugar cereals on the bottom. That's why there's candy. As you, yeah. you know, you roll through the checkout counter, you know, they're, they're targeting you to make those impulsive buys. Yeah. I always see it like right in front of the store as I'm checking out. I'm like, do I want chips? Do I want candy? I'm like, yeah. no, if you don't. I do the same but thing. But it's there and you have to like stare at Starbucks it. things that they put right next to the water. I'm like, oh, maybe I should get that instead. Mm-hmm. The food industry definitely like caters to, especially like younger 
younger people it feels like to almost like they're encouraging those unhealthy habits because it makes them money and they make it like bright colors yep yeah, the bright like, colors it's like bright reds and bright blues i just get drawn to the colors and i'm yeah. like now i want to buy this because it looks great and as a kid yeah. oh my gosh yeah. the media definitely markets sugar to children mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? there is this oh i'm sorry no, i don't mean to cut you off there's nope. a movie that like it had this coca-cola commercial that was for kids correct yeah No, that's okay. And, you know, that's why some school districts have moved towards, you know, taking soda out of vending machines, taking Mm -hmm. vending machines completely out of schools because they're trying to address that media phenomenon that we know is happening, the marketing phenomenon, which is, you know, the food industry markets unhealthy foods to children. So Mm -hmm. when you look at those frozen meals that are marketed for kids, it is the unhealthiest box of food I could ever imagine in my entire life. It is loaded with sodium. It is loaded with fat. It has trans fat in it. It has too many calories in it. Um, Mm -hmm. Tons of preservatives. And it's got the cute animals on it and the bright colors. And sparkles. Or the movie characters. Sprinkles. Yeah. The sprinkles are like stars. Those things Yeah. Yeah. I love when they're sponsored by like Disney or something. And then, you know, it's got all of your favorite characters on it. It's like, oh, well, this character eats this food, you should too. And yeah. yeah, and it draws kids in so easily. I think you this discussion has brought up kind of an it's an interesting um, juxtaposition with one another how media has media and marketing makes us want to eat these foods that create this type of eating that's not mindful in mm-hmm. which we don't fuel our vehicles with the right nutrition. We get upset with the body imagery issues that the media continues to push on us, which drives us into the dieting industry. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And which is now apparently on the uptick as everyone is cresting out of quarantine and realizing yeah. that they have put on some unsavory pounds that they were not intending to do. You know, so... One of the biggest take-home messages I would love to send out to teens that are listening is to get off the internet. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Get off the internet and to try and not get your, your news or your media from your social media sources because they're targeting you. They're yeah. targeting you. They're going to tell you the way to think and they're not going to allow you to try and identify who you are on your own. And that's a phenomenon I did not have to live through. Um, you know, I got to go out there and play with my friends. I got to go to summer camp. I got to travel and see things and then figure out who I was and how I wanted to eat and my relationship with food based on some of those things. And Mm -hmm. I wasn't sent these images because I logged onto Instagram. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So perhaps what we, the best thing that we can do to change the way society affects the way we feel about our bodies or about the way we eat is to stop logging on yeah definitely and i think that even we ourselves are guilty of perpetuating it because i feel like it works its way into everyday conversation you know if you're with your friends and you see a post of you know someone it's super skinny and it's like oh this is you know you could you can achieve this in three weeks these unrealistic expectations and it sort of becomes like a topic of discussion where you're putting yourself down and then all of your friends almost like go off of that. I mean, if someone says like, oh, you know, I, I hate the way I look or I hate my legs or something. And then you'll be like, 
oh, no, you're great, but have you seen my arms or something? Then all of a sudden it's this conversation about how these things that we don't like about ourselves or these things that we wish we could change. And it becomes this unhealthy habit. And it's sort of like you realize, like, you may be trying to help someone else feel better, but by putting yourself down too, then that's probably making that other person look at themselves and be like, oh, well, if they don't like the way they look, should I be concerned about the way I look? I mean, I know that happens to me all the time. Mm -hmm. Someone makes a comment about themselves and then I look in the mirror like, well, should I not like that too? You're trying, you're trying to help, um, you're trying to help comfort them and make them feel less alone in their body Mm -hmm. image issues. It's very hard to be the person to say, hey, I don't have any body image issues. Like, I'm, I like the way I look. Yeah. Um, perhaps you just need to all meet in, in groups together and just have very pointed conversations about the fact that you don't want to talk about yourself like that anymore. Mm-hmm. I had one friend, like, recently who I was talking about how I don't like I post pictures on social media occasionally, but I'm like, oh, but I'm always so concerned about how I look. And I asked her how, cause she only recently started like posting more and just in all of her pictures, I'm always like, you look so great in all of your pictures. Like what's the secret? And she's like, honestly, it's about confidence. Like I stopped, you know, trying to find every little detail in the image that I hated. I just looked and I went, I, I felt great taking that picture. I had a good time. I feel confident in what I was wearing and how I looked. And I'm just going to put it out there, not for anyone else. Like I'm doing it for myself. And so that like confidence is key has like stuck with me since then. I like try to think about that more like when I'm judging myself or I'm going through pictures and I'm like, well, I don't know why I, I don't look as good as, you know, so-and-so and I'm just changing the mindset. Well, maybe we need to stop taking pictures to show off the way we're looking and take pictures to highlight what we've been doing, right? We've lost mm-hmm. track and we've lost touch with the whole reason why social media took off in the first place. Mm-hmm. Social media was designed to help each other share our lives. I went to Disney, we went to the beach today, it's graduation, and all of a sudden it morphed into this, do I look hot in this shirt business, mm-hmm. right? So another thing that you know, as teens you could all collaboratively do to help change pace for the next set of kids growing up is to look at social media and what you're posting on social media and why are you posting it? Post on social media with intention, with mindful intention of sharing your life, not necessarily sharing the way you look. Yeah. Like I just was, I just posted just before you came in because I went to New York yesterday and a few days ago I turned off the likes on my page. So now I can't see anyone, how many, num- like the numbers. I can't see how many likes people get. So I can't see how many people are liking my pictures. So for me now it's more about posting did I have a good time on this trip? Did I, do I, I like the background of these pictures more mm-hmm. as the more of not yeah. what I look like, the more of did I have this great time? And that's kind of the mm-hmm. mindfulness that I've been going into now. And yeah. I'm working towards it. So now I'm not worried about like, how many people like this picture? It's more like, did I like this? And did I have a good time? That's what I did yeah. an hour ago. I like, I like when you, you said that. She yeah. said, like, I like the background of this picture. Like, it looks pretty. And I'm it's like, like yeah. yeah. The reflection yeah. looks so good. That's yeah. life. What's in the background, that's your life. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. yeah. I did the same thing a while ago. I, I have this main account on Instagram where I would post things like, oh, I look pretty in this, and I want people to think that I'm pretty. And I created a whole new Instagram, and it's just it's very intimate. And I'm just talking about my thoughts and like how I feel or maybe something that I learned recently and it's so liberating to just post and share me and my mind rather than 
oh, I look pretty and I want people to think that I look pretty. You right. Know? It shouldn't be about the yeah. way you look on your post. And if you're worried about the way you look and you're not getting in the picture and you're not posting because you're worried about it, mm -hmm. get in that picture and take, you know, make a living record of what you've done with your life because, yeah. you know, one day this is going to help you remember the good times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so get in there and do it, you know. Just be mindful of it not being about the way you look and more about what you're doing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Personally, I love like candid shots when like, you know, you're like ugly laughing because someone you know, made you laugh so hard. And it's like, I, don't, I like those pictures because I remember like, I can remember what happened in that moment. Like, oh my gosh, like, you know, so-and-so said this joke. And it's just more fun to look back at those rather than, because when you're posing, it's like mm -hmm. you're stopping everything else to take the moment to find that perfect pose and to like get into position. And then when you look at your phone, you're like, I don't like, you know, take it again, take it again. You're wasting time going through that when you could just like be taking fun pictures. And then when you look back at them like years later, like those are the fun photos and you remember like those good memories. It's akin to the, the mom or the dad that spends the entire, you know, dance recital behind the camera instead of paying attention to the kid in front of them. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. It's the same thing. We have to, we have to get out there and just live it. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And it's also that whole movement of the, the filter versus reality, like that whole oh, thing yes. to it, which I've seen so much of. Yeah. I'm starting to see on social media more is people kind of like stepping away from the filter and they're mm -hmm. like, oh, not everyone looks like this. And I start to see more of this. Um, I completely just lost my chin. Like <laughs> okay. side pictures? Yeah, kind of the, yeah. here's what it looked like while I was posing and then here's what they actually looked like. Yeah. And yes. you kind of see like everyone has their like little like insecurities and everything and it kind mm -hmm. of, it's, I don't want to say it's made for more positive social media that I've seen, but I've definitely seen step away from the, oh, I have to be skinny to be pretty, mm -hmm. or you can be pretty no matter yeah. what, and you can just yeah. have a good time. People are starting to post more, but they're just having a good time. They don't really care what they look like. Yeah. I've seen that, like, slightly. It's yeah, I've seen a lot of, like, people starting to do, like, photo dumps where it's, like, you, you know, you're not worrying about, mm -hmm. is this picture perfect, even if it's, a, if it's a little blurry, like, you know, just post it anyways, because, like, you like the picture and you think it's fun, you want to share it. I feel like I have seen, it, it balances out. I feel like I've seen more of that and even people posting like, you know, you know, who may normally post pictures, you know, trying to look super pretty, but then they show off their insecurities, you know, showing, you know, they woke up and you know, their hair is a mess or something like that. And I mean, you'll still always find those, you know, advertisements that pop up, like you should work out more, go on this diet, all these things that like, you know, it interrupts that positivity that's in your head mm -hmm. and and i guess it's hard to redirect from that because social media it, it wants to shove it at you so however it can but well, i you, do you, you redirect it by searching and clicking on movements like the body positivity movement mm -hmm. or um the dove campaign is a great campaign for oh body yeah positivity. i and, love theirs you know so, you do mm -hmm. it by be, the more you take a deep dive into loving yourself for who you are and doing those searches, healthy eating, you know, mm -hmm. um, intuitive eating, mindful eating, whatnot, you, you can train, you know, your smartphone to yeah. Yeah. redirect your images. Mm -hmm. I like thinking about image, and I, you know, like TikTok has been like a big thing, especially in quarantine, mm -hmm. I got all those like workout posts. But more recently, I've um, come across this one girl who shows before and afters of like eating and how she blows up her eating. And yes. over quarantine, I developed like, a rough relationship with food. And so like coming into this girl who's like, this is this is normal. 
this is what people look like after they eat. It's not mm-hmm. like you don't be afraid to eat. And that was like helpful to see like when people thought platforms or started something like like this is normal. You don't have to just be like super skinny. So that was helpful for me and like my social media positivity. Yeah, I've yeah. seen that like throughout the day, like how eating mm-hmm. changes or even just, you know, it's like for women, like our cycles, like how, you know, your stomach or bloating yeah. can change. And I feel like it's good to see that to be like, and you know, it's those people who you look at like, oh, wow, I love the way that they look like it's those people. And you realize like, if you're not perfect all the time, you're not a, some flawless person, you know, everyone goes through it. It's not like some people, you know, have a free pass and they don't have to deal with that. Like everyone has to deal with those things going back to why the pandemic may have increased eating disorders though she triggered a, a memory of mine in that kids felt like they had no control so something that they could control was food yeah um and so i think that that played a big role in why eating disorders and other types of mental illnesses ticked up during the mm-hmm. pandemic mm-hmm. well thank you so much for yeah, being here and talking to us this thank was you for great having me. this was a really great conversation and i hope that people that are listening will feel a little bit more confident about themselves moving forward yeah hopefully i hope so as well definitely yeah. thank you thank, thank you so much thank you to today's guest for sharing their time and knowledge with us And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to this month's podcast. To find the resources mentioned in our discussion, check out the description box. This podcast series is produced by YA Media, where our goal is to serve our community through education, communication, and awareness. Stay tuned for more upcoming projects.